Hi, welcome to Time Cold Presents. Today we speak to Randy Perez, Patrick Marrero, and Ricardo Barros about Time Code Nola's episode 702. We cover ground on Charles Johnson's movie, Broth. We talk to Randy Perez about his short, Rate of Change. And we have a conversation with Eric Williamson about life in the local movie industry and his latest offering, When I Die. Hope you enjoy. Here we go. It's tough. It's a tough racket. So, all right, Time Code Nola, episode seven hundred two. We're very excited about it. Exciting. Very exciting. Lots of good stuff in there. Also, the our, our kind of our Christmas edition. It is. It's well. The, the thing is, is we used to uh, years ago we would actually air, you know, made the episodes and then air at a certain time. So you'd have a Mardi Gras, a Christmas, mm-hmm. or Easter, and it would be fun to make little creative bumpers and and stuff and and. Uh, you know, selfishly, that's one of the things that that reason why I like doing time code is because you're able to make these little bumpers and the stuff. little bumpers, yeah. yeah. It's stuff that like I'm not an animator, but you know, maybe for like ten minutes, yeah. ten, ten <laughs> seconds, <laughs> I am animation <laughs> fantasy. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's like be able to play with it, but uh, but this ep- this episode's got some fun stuff. We got uh, we got broth. Broth is, uh, and we're fe- we're featuring it in its its entirety. Yeah, in, in it's its, never yeah in its full length. It's a local uh, skateboard film uh, directed and put together by Charles Johnson, by Charles Johnson uh, with a host of other people. Jordan Trahans. I mean, there's a, there's a host of others. It's definitely not uh, just made by one person, but definitely uh, leaded up and uh, headed headed by Charles Johnson. Uh, it's been out for a minute, but it, it, I think it really represents the sort of uh the vibe that you get here what in is New Orleans what on is, skateboard. that's kind of the thing with the episodes right like like uh you know I, I know some people wonder it's like you know where you're getting your films from and, and things like that it's like a lot of the films do we we allow not allow but like it's one of those things like most of the films make their little run little run i know it sounds stupid but but it's just like you know they they either go festivals or they have their premieres and all that stuff and then once you know once people have have seen either the people that that have been targeted to see you know a lot of times it's it ends up being a thing where where you don't want the the project to die and you want to be able to give it to new audiences yeah speaking of little films oh Really? <laughs> Speaking of films that won't die. We, little, we have, little old film. We have one of your films. Your yes. student film from oh, yeah. way back 99. in the... Uh, 98. I think it's 98. Before the turn of the century. Yeah. No, it's crazy. <laughs> it's, uh, so yeah. Is it like a night? What did we say? Ni- late 19th century film? Or late something? 19th century <laughs> film. Yeah. Uh, written... Well, it's it, it was written by a friend of mine, um, uh, Michael uh, Signal, who uh, was my high school drinking buddy <laughs> and he wrote this film such a new orleans thing yeah, <laughs> yeah junior high drinking buddy <laughs> yeah and and again it was it was made in 98 i mean you know i, I don't know if i'm can get canceled for it or whatever but <laughs> but uh but uh over the pandemic like it was done like we shot it on 16 it was done and uh, what was it the story is about a uh a black guy at a bus stop and he turns into a white guy for like a second <laughs> And yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. Again, I didn't write it, but uh, but one of my friends, uh, Mike, you know, uh, we've always done stuff together. And and anyway, so he was like, "Hey, I got," you know, I was telling him I was in film school, and he was like, "I got this, I got this short story." I was like, "Oh, dope!" And so anyway, we we turned it into a, um, a short, but it had at the time, I had lofty goals of um, doing some morphing. 
Like, mm. I was like, you know, it was like, I thought, yeah, it was a hot shit, man. I was like, we're going to morph this guy. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> we're shooting on, on 16, and we're going to morph this dude, and, and it's going to be great. And and they had some technology at the time that, that made me think that it was possible, and that's why we even attempted it. And then uh, it failed horribly. Like most things, it took on a different, went on a different trajectory yeah. To, yeah. to make it happen. Yeah, and then, and then the thing was is, is, I don't know, there was a bunch of things, like the, the, the white dude that I used ended up it did, something didn't it just didn't work and, and and then like as a young filmmaker a lot of times um, you know you don't get all your pieces one of the things that I always did that was a problem was that I would have an idea and you'd get your script and you'd get your shot list and, and you would kind of work out the cut in your head and I could visualize the whole, like usually it was you could tell the pieces that you're like Motherfucker knew what was happening mm -hmm. with this sequence, and then there's other parts you're like, ah, how do I get from here to here? I'll, I'll get there, right? <laughs> like, right. And then the, when you when you get on set, all of a sudden somebody's like, hey, well, you should do this. It's like, oh, that sounds like a great idea. And you start going down these roads, and, and then you, you realize your... you realize, damn, I don't have the connecting pieces to this, and it doesn't quite work. Anyway. So I sat on it for a long time. By that time, you're at home with a pizza in the oven and thinking, "Man, yeah." Well, <laughs> well, at that time, you you could you 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 know now you just go back and shoot extra pieces or whatever. Mm -hmm. I was shooting on sixteen, so it was like it went to the lab. That's what you got. Like, yeah. like there's no more like shooting. I don't need you know two more shots. So you're not getting them. Um, but but anyway, so during the pandemic, I like started dusting off old projects that were like half done or like I was like, uh, "What is my what is my work?" Uh, you know, <laughs> legacy. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so so I dusted it off, uh, you know, as a hobby like anybody else. And then and then uh there is I do admit there there are two pickup shots in it that I tried to match. Um you probably know what they are, but when you see it. But Did you turn it into your professor when you were done? Did you get a grade? I don't know if he's still alive. <laughs> he's actually not alive, unfortunately. Uh shout out to uh rest in peace steve hank but uh mm -hmm. but yeah he's but but I, I did get a grade on it so like i when i did i cut it enough but it wasn't oh, the other thing was and you know this is that <laughs> um this is another story to this there's two major pieces of music in it and like they're just like hip-hop beats like beats that, that are made by uh danny impulse perez no relation um but a very good friend and he, you know, became a father and went away for a while and became a regular working man. And we, I couldn't get the beats and I couldn't find the mm -hmm. beats to, to like finish it. And so I try, I bugged Rick. I That's bugged, me. I bugged you a lot <laughs> to try to recreate it. And then we were working for the Discovery Channel somewhere. We had a drum machine. We tr we, we we couldn't even figure out the samples. Well, yeah, we were working. No, we were working on out of town. I forgot about that. Yeah, and 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 I kept on bugging him. I was like, dude, you got to recreate it. I, like, and then we couldn't figure out the samples. And then finally, we found the samples, which was really dope. Was like super exciting. Didn't we go to a thrift store and you found the record? I found one of the records. One of the records that had the sample. It had on the it sample there. on it that we had been like I had been bugging him about it because I was like, "Yo, I'm gonna finish this right." And this is during the pandemic. We were working, and we, we were in Wyoming, not we exactly Wyoming. a mecca of record stores. No, either. it's not. A, it's not a digger's paradise. It was mostly like <laughs> religious records. But we found a record, right? This is the thing that's so messed up. This is what karma is, and so so he rebuilds the beat. 
And then we figured out the we figured out the other sample. And I, I I bought the record off of eBay, got it sent to us in Wyoming. He rebuilt both of the beats. He rebuilt both of those beats. Hmm. And then uh, I got home and I found uh, a CD <laughs> with with both of those beats on. <laughs> so he didn't have to rebuild it. But um, but what winds up happening is 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 uh, so I cut it to it and I, I cleaned up a couple of you know I, I, there was two shots that I picked up um, and then I, I sent it back to uh, to Rick. And then he scored it because I like the one thing that I, I realize now as a filmmaker is that like the sound is what, you know, it's like, ah, I'll bring it like 60% there. Rick will bring it the rest of the way. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I give you an A on the sound. You didn't get an official grade, but you, you get an A. <laughs> well, the, the, yeah, no, but it was, but that's the thing is, it's like sound design, kids. It's all in sound design. But anyway, yeah, so that was like a big part of storytelling. Big part of it. it so that's probably one of the most important parts. Yeah, and it it, it saved us. It, well, it saved me, but <laughs> it, that's what got this in this episode. <laughs> Not, and you know what's funny is is this film screened the the initial cut, which I don't think I have anymore anywhere. Maybe I have it on beta somewhere. But uh, it it screened in front of front of the audience. Like uh, they had, they used to have this like media showcase or whatever. Mm-hmm. It was like a a film festival for our, our school, and. Um, and they did that, and it screened there, and, it, and it's never seen the light until uh, to you guys see it on December 21st. Dun, and dun, so dun. the takeaway from that is uh, Time Code NOLA is Randy's... Uh, Procrastination. It's, it's, no, it's, it's your outlet for bumpers and 30-year-old <laughs> movies. 30-year-old movies. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But... Uh, uh, we should all have thirty-year-old movies. We should. You, you can't let them die. Like that's the thing is, just like I, I, I was, I was, I was joking. I was like, I'm like George Lucas. I would like digitally mastering my <laughs> just keep crappy little changing. movie. Maybe you put it out next. Season well, you know too. what else is? You no, know, you know what's funny is I lost the voiceover, and at one point I was like, like early on, I was like, ah, it doesn't need a voiceover. And, and then Mike and I, because I'm still, you know, I'm still friends with Mike, obviously, and we, were, I was like, you know, called him up. And, and was like, yo, I'm gonna make them <laughs> finish the movie. It's like, what are you <laughs> what, talking what, about? Yeah, what, yeah, it was uh, like, what are you talking about? And and so uh, so we uh, we doctored up the script to fit what we had. Mm. And uh, but it's funny, uh, Kenneth Trufant, who is the lead in the the, the film, he lives in Japan now. Jeez, and international. He's, he's been in Japan for right. I don't know ten years or more. Maybe longer than that. Yeah, yeah, maybe. And and um and so I hit him up on on Facebook and and uh, yeah, we were still friends, obviously, and um. Hit him up on Facebook, and then uh, and he sent the line back in Japanese. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So, but but by the powers of technology, we we got it finished uh, through Mike's in Seattle, Kenny's uh, Ken's in um, Kenneth's in uh, Japan, and then you know we're here in New Orleans. Also through the powers of technology, we were able to speak with Eric Williamson, whose uh, whose work is also featured in. In 702? Yeah, him and Rome, John, uh, John and Rome. Sure. Yeah, John, John Wood, Rome Julian, the time code people, uh, talking to Eric Williamson about his film When I Die. So um, let's listen to that. Listen to the, the, their interview with him so we can stop talking. Roll them. I'm here today with Eric Williamson, director of When I Die. Hey, hey, thanks for having me. Also here with Rome Julian, uh, a lot of interactions between Eric and Rome over the years, uh, shot a couple of his films. Yeah, man, uh, worked together a long time as a, a camera assistant, myself and Eric was uh, always in the AD department. We, always, we just kind of built a relationship uh, 
like that. But yeah, man, tell us a little bit um, about your new uh, film, your new short film, uh, When I Die. How's that going? Uh, it's going great, actually. This is probably the smoothest post-production process I've had in quite some time. Nice. Uh, we all got together during the strikes and just decided to shoot something. Uh, luckily, I found some pretty heavy hitters. I had uh, Nick Lee Hun from Orange Whip Grip come out. Uh, nice. Nate Tape was our DP. A um, lot of other people, just uh, everybody's bored on their couches and tired of watching TV. So I talked them into coming to shoot a short film for free. Man, what a what a great idea to get um, a bunch of people that you know in the industry because of the writer strikes and actor strike that you know uh, enjoy making movies, enjoy helping uh, you know smaller projects out to just reach out to them and, and be like, hey, well, I got this idea for this this movie. Let's jump out and do it. We ain't doing shit else. We sitting on the couch twiddling our thumbs. Let's let's go out and make a movie, man. What, what made you, uh, I mean, besides the fact of wanting to be a filmmaker and not wanting to be, but being a filmmaker, it's just in your blood to just want to make movies all the time. But how, how, how hard was it to, to convince the crew members to, to join in? Do you have a bit of a history of making short films, right? Uh, yeah, it was actually pretty easy this time because everyone is off work. And, you know, I always lead with, uh, you know, the pay because short films are a lot different than features. Um, working in production, you, you meet so many people and I have found the people that enjoy working in filmmaking and making movies. Um, yeah, uh, I've met plenty of people that enjoy the process and like making movies, so I stick close to those people. And when we do have downtime, uh, I usually get the same crew together, um, give or take a few people here or there, based on availability, and we just go out and tell stories and make movies. And this is your, uh, we kind of what, 10th film? 10th. Uh, I'll say 10th short film. There's There's been, you know, 12 to 14, but 10 count, I would say. And then what, what's your experience been like? Like whenever you started out, were you fresh out of uh, film school? Did you do film school or did you start? Or how did you get your start? Uh, for short films, it was actually probably 10 to 15 years after I got into the business. Um, it took a while to just, like, learn the process and figure out who was down to just jump in and help. Um, at the beginning of the career, you know, I started here in 2002, 2003, uh, started finding my footing, then Katrina hit, uh, went out to Los Angeles and you start, you know, rebuilding all those friendships and relationships. And, you know, out there it was a lot different. You'd think it would be easier to shoot out there, but it was much harder because it was uh, much more expensive. Um, and people just weren't interested because everybody just wanted to do their thing instead of like a team effort. You come back here, uh, New Orleans has such a, a strong community in the filmmaking world that uh, you ask somebody for help and sometimes if they're available, they dive in no problem, usually for free or a discounted rate because like I said, I have found the people that enjoy the process. Right, and you, and you I heard you say uh, something earlier um, that you learn the most from like dolly grips or like other people in other departments but how, how important is that when you're working in the film industry um to make those connections with other departments to help on your your short film for for me it is uh extremely important because it is not uh a one-man show uh filmmaking is very much a team effort and 
when you get to know what the dolly grip does and like how much they contribute to the movie or even the boom operator or the first and second AC when it comes to blocking, every person on set can teach you, even if it's a small thing or a huge thing. Uh, a quick backstory, my first day as an intern, I remember we finished the rehearsal, it was a commercial, and um, they were like, all right, clear the set, you know, uh, all hands on deck, move everything, and it's my first day. And I reached down and I grabbed the tees that they put down for the actors. So right away, my first day, I learned a major thing, like don't ever touch those. That's camera department. Like I made a huge mistake, but I learned from it and I watch, I still think about that to this day in blocking rehearsals, uh, whether it's me as an AD on set or when I'm shooting my stuff, I remember that stuff. Everything sticks with you. And the, the second AC was so cool about it. He remembered where they went because he caught on quickly, saw what I was doing and he taught me. So each person teaches you every small aspect of filmmaking. It's not just going to film school. Um, and I learned so much more in a commercial and in an internship, like in that first like couple, six months of starting as an intern than I probably did at school. And uh, you're gonna hear some uh, slight backgrounds as we're here in Mid-City and City Park. I, I started out as a PA as well, and it burns you out pretty quickly for a lot of people. Um, you you went the same track, right? You didn't do like DGA training or anything? Uh, I did not. I think uh, when I was in college, I looked into the DGA program, and that was in 2003. I looked over it. It was uh, so much stuff. It felt like homework. It was like submit an essay on why you should be included. And then by the time I started working with everybody, my second day as an intern, I was already like starting to get paid. And, you know, I was... I didn't love school, so just getting the onset experience like firsthand, I chose that. Uh, I still graduated from UNO. I got a you know a bachelor's and everything, but the I saw that the education was like just learning from actual set. Yeah, and that's it's funny because I did the exact same thing, and I wound up having to drop from UNO because I was working too much. Yeah, and that's one of the things is that in in the AD world, our hours suck. <laughs> Our hours do suck. Um, you know, I work anywhere from 12 to 18, sometimes 20 hours a day. But, you know, we, we do that work for the paycheck and the downtime in between. Um, you know, this year with the strike, I've been fortunate enough to, you know, wait it out. It's, you know, I'm ready to get back to work and ready to get those real checks again. But that is, you know, why we do it. Uh, you, you go through the 16-hour days and the paycheck makes it worth it. But, you know, not for the long haul, hopefully. You know, with everything after the strikes, things yeah. get better, and we all work shorter days for everyone's health. Tell us something. Uh, as far as um, more filmmaking in the works for for you, Eric Williams, and what's in the future besides getting this one finished and out there to the world? Uh, you you have some. Do you have a quota that you try to? reach per year to say hey I'm I, shoot. I wish I was that dedicated. <laughs> I wish I'm uh, shoot five our business, this year yeah our business is so unpredictable that like this year yeah. nobody was expecting to take a full year off right um, had I known this I would have tried to write a feature at the beginning of the year and try to get everybody together and right. I did see some people doing crowdfunding and I think that's a terrible time to do some crowdfunding right now <laughs> yeah, but no, uh, no one has money to each his own <laughs> you know everybody thought it was a good idea but looking back on it um, you know, I couldn't ask for people for money when everybody's down and out and waiting to see what happens with the strikes. Um, as far as a quota in my process, uh, I just write when it comes. Um, usually long road trips or just like I'll be working out and an idea comes to me. 
I sit down, I, I write it, and then just kind of take it from there. If it's easy to shoot, I'll try to shoot it. And if it's difficult, I'll just put it back on the back burner and see when the time comes. Anything big uh, in the future? Are you planning for a, a, fe a feature at some point? I think uh, uh, 10 shorts is enough shorts. I would love to do a feature. Um, it's just all about timing and the idea. I don't want my first feature to just be something to do just because it's a feature. Right. Uh, I think I would rather wait and just time it out and just like the idea has to be there, the location, the cast, everything has to come together. Um, like these shorts, they, they just kind of fall into my lap. Um, I just don't want to rush it and just put out something to put something out. I would mm. rather just wait and see what happens. Let me ask you something. Are, are any of your short movies you're willing to expound on to make turn into a feature? There was one. Uh, Here We Go Again was a long short. It was a half hour, right at 30 minutes. So that was going to be the first chapter. And I was going to do a chapter two and a chapter three. And I kind of had it mapped out. But after we shot the short and we put it out, it was finished. It was a finished project. Right. Um, I, I wouldn't say it felt like it was dragging the story out, but I felt like the story was complete. Yeah, you made, um, you made your point. I made the, the point. The story I like that one, yeah. yeah. That, that you, you should yeah. like that one. DP, <laughs> it, looked, it looked pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, looked, it looked fantastic. Yeah, um, awesome. You are prolific in your filmmaking, though. How, how are you juggling that time between, like, are you doing it whenever you're off of shoots, or how are you doing it? Um, when uh, my first short, my first real short that I shot, American Made, back in the day, I was a, I was a PA at the time, and I was in a lockup. It was on two guns. Uh, and I remember I was a keyset PA, and I had an idea because we had to drive an hour out, and uh, I had the idea of driving through some sugarcane fields, and it just kept coming to me through that day. So I asked one of my friends to cover me, and I just walked away and typed it on my phone. And by the end of the day, I had a short film written on my phone. Um, and then, you know, I just kind of went and shot it. Uh, now, that was when I was a PA, so now as an AD, it's much harder to find that time. Um, it's easier to take the time off that breaks in between. So when I do have downtime, that's when I'll just sit down and write and then come up with more ideas. And then depending project to project, how much downtime I have, I can try to shoot something um, or I can prep. One of my things is like I usually prep with the people that I'm currently on a show with because I know they're about to wrap that show. And if they're available, I can snatch them up and roll right into a short film. Nice. So I do change DPs. I do change some crew because, like, if the crew is available, I can kind of jump on that and um, get a, you know, uh, suck some people into my world because I know they're available. I'm always curious about it because I know other directors that have been ADs and they get so stressed out because of timing, because of, you know, you're used to having to keep everything on track and on that. Um, how do you kind of detached from being an AD whenever you're directing? Uh, it's funny because on When I Die, I was basically the first AD <laughs> and the director. Uh, but the crew, I love all the crew members and everybody respects the process. So it was very easy. Everybody was there to make the movie. Um, For When I Die, you did it. But did, I mean, do you find yourself a lot of times on shorts just kind of like, Man, we gotta go, we gotta go, we gotta go, what's going on? Um, yes and no. Uh, I can look at the script and I can decide what we should cut and what is important based on my experience as an AD and my experience as a director. Um, sometimes you have to sacrifice a couple lines of dialogue just because once the actors are there and they read it on paper, you can see how you can save time. And I had to do that on When I Die, of course. Uh, everybody's working for free. It was a five-page scene, it was getting late, so we had to kind of cut some dialogue, but yeah, at the, at the end of the day, it still works. Um, you don't need all the words sometimes. Another thing that I, with the films I've been watching of yours, 
you do have a quite a different cast. It's not a lot of people like will work with the same three people in every freaking movie, whatever. Um, you you kind of have crew the way you've talked about it as far as how you get it. What about your actors? Where do they come from? Um, you know, working as an AD, it's a blessing, especially if I'm a second AD. I communicate with the actors to tell them the report times, the schedule, um, you know, hair, makeup, costumes, camera tests, all that stuff. And I get to know those cast members. And then as a first AD, I get to work with the cast members as well. And New Orleans has so much talent that it's just like when I meet these people, I'm like, uh, you know what, you'd be great in this short. And I kind of take that actor, I watch what they do on set, and then I'll go home and I'll like have an idea and just write it for that person specifically. Nice. Um, so again, it's who you're working with at the time. You kind of take that and just roll with it. That's interesting, because that's one of the things that we talked about is uh, one of Perez's favorite sayings is, uh, if you want to make movies, don't work in the movie industry. And we were kind of talking about that earlier. You you think that it actually is a blessing to work in that Yeah, I think me and Perez are opposites when it comes to that. I think uh, for me, I'm not going to throw him under the bus. <laughs> Whoever thinks that. Oh, no, world. that was yeah, me. That was okay. that was just, and that was more because it's just, I, I feel that you wind up learning the right things to do. And you, you learn the right things, you make the connections, and you can kind of see who brings what to the table. Like if uh, you hire a DP based on like their real they may have had like huge support and a bigger budget and then they get to set and they have no budget and they have no support and they suck. So it just depends like, you know, it's, it's better to get to know the people that you're working with and then bring them into your circle and like see what they actually can bring to the table instead of just like based on hearsay and, uh, you know, reels sometimes. And that's a really important part is actually getting to see people and their element working. You can actually judge, you know, who you want to work with or who you don't. Yeah, you also see who's who's passionate about it. Um, for me, I like to make movies. I like to tell stories, and I like to work with people that like to do what they're doing. I don't like to work with people that are just there for the paychecks or, like, the free meals or, you know, just to say they're working in movies. Uh, I like to work with people that almost every short or uh, every project I do, I'm, I talk to somebody that's like, hey, I have an idea. Can we talk about this? Can you help me, like, work this out? And I'm like, of course. Yes, I would love to. So... So when I die, where can people find you if they want to watch that or if they want to watch your previous work? Um, my Instagram is Empty Pocket Productions. Uh, I have my work on there. There's a link to my Vimeo page. Uh, my personal Instagram is Dub Doodle. Uh, I have a link to my website is Empty Pocket Productions as well. So Empty Pocket Productions. If you Google that, you're going to find some stuff. Dope. Any encouraging words you can give give to the people listening who want to uh, make movies? I think just do it, uh, Nike, I guess. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think just go out and do it. Nothing's stopping you but you. Uh, you can find a million excuses. Same with the gym, same with anything. If you have to take out the trash or dishes, uh, filmmaking is very challenging and very hard. But if you don't do it, if you, if you don't tackle it, you're never going to get it done. So if you want to write, sit down and write. If you want to get down and shoot something, iPhones are easy. Everybody has one, even if it's not an iPhone, if you're an Android person. Right. Uh, cameras are great. Just go out and shoot something. Well, thanks, Eric. Thanks again for uh, taking the time to talk to us today. Of course. Thanks for having me. All right. Back to you guys in the studio. So, uh, well, that was great. Those, uh, Eric uh, is an interesting guy because he's very prolific. He's made 11 films. And he's also an AD, which is crazy. He's a second AD, so... <laughs> 
Um, that, yeah, that's a crazy job just to well, off the bat. Th- that's the thing, man. The hardest thing is, is like, there's some people like uh, Jason Affolder who actually produced Aaron Allen's film, whose uh, Five Important Chores that we also are screening this month. Um, Affold is another one that's like super prolific. I don't know how many films he's made, but Eric Eric Williamson said he made eleven. Like I, I wish I could make that many films. Keep at it. <laughs> I mean, if somebody no. like yeah, I mean, I I show up to work all the time and make stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you know? But uh, but yeah, um, Aaron Allen's film um is is very interesting because it's it's a take on I don't know if you have you seen it I don't, it's it's a take on um sort of like being bombarded with um you know uh, uh like spam mail and so and just being mm. a modern person in and hearing that you're not smart enough pretty enough or oh I can relate to that <laughs> <laughs> I'm constantly bombarded by spam mail and I'm not smart enough for much so <laughs> I can relate I need to watch that immediately so, uh, so talk a little bit about. Uh, I mean, you know, uh, the scene with Charles and, and those cats uh, in, the, in the skateboard uh, scene. What, what, what's kind of going on over there? Uh, I think the, the the thing that makes our scene here is what we don't have. What New Orleans doesn't have to offer in terms of skateboarding. Uh, the terrain is just rough. You know, I mean. The city in general is just rough, and that's definitely reflected in the skate scene. I mean, th- you don't have to explain to anybody about the streets here. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> like if potholes are bad for cars, imagine <laughs> trying to uh, roll your skateboard through it. Like, that's that's what we deal with. But it also uh, it teaches us what we're going to do. It shows us how to skate, and it, and it kind of just adds to the mentality of we're going we're gonna to take what we got and do what we can with it. But that's that's sort of like how we we started filmmaking as well. It's like it was like a thing that like we don't we didn't have the resources or that's a good analogy because it's very much the same way in that like okay get it how you live we're kids <laughs> right and we want to make this movie and we wish we could make the Hollywood movie but there ain't right. no way in hell it's gonna happen so we wind up making a thing and just like that in skateboarding I remember you know, very young skateboarding in the 80s, and, like, you would get... uh, My only exposure to, like, professional skateboarding levels type stuff was just magazines, and, like, you had to figure out what the... Like, you look at a... a, It's a sequential... Yeah, you mm -hmm. just figure out everything, like... Sequential photos, you like, showing you how to do something, (laughs) and you're, like... Like, When you see it in video, it's like, what? Yeah, there was no real, like, skate parks here or anything like that, so you, you were on your own, so... Um, just like any city, uh, it's developed, but I feel like here early on, like it's a little, it's a little isolated. Um, and, and even still people say, uh, that we have our own, our own vibe here. And if you watch broth, you really get a good idea of what it's about. It's about just a non-pretension and it's not, it's not about, uh, you know, pretty and, and. And we're going to jump down handrails or, or, or big sets of stairs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's just it's uh, a lot of style, a lot of vibe, and just uh, you got to watch it to really understand. So, like talking with Charles, like what um, the discussion of whether full lengths versus clips, um, or just like maybe like uh, releasing lines online. You know, I, I what's mean, your take on <clears throat> it? Uh, it's all very relevant. I mean, obviously, people. People want to share their skating, right? Like when you get something good, of course you want you want to share it. It's, it's very easy for you to just put your stuff on Instagram or just you know share a clip or whatever. But 
a full-length skate video is, I mean, that brings back so many memories to me of just things that I will watch over. And, I, you know, you, you, you would focus in on one on one film and you would come home from school or wherever and watch it every day. You would get so hyped up. And you you understood the rhythm of the entire movie, you know, not just not just the skateboarding and tricks. It was more than that. The it music the, and everything. The music, mm -hmm. the clothing, the the cut, the rhythm of the cut yeah. lent to skateboard. Like it's, when you go out and watch people skate, it's not a skateboard film. It's a completely different experience. It's like when you go to the football game, when you go to the Superdome and watch the Saints play, as or to as opposed to NFL watching TV, films, it's a different experience. Yeah. When, and when done properly, it, it, it its job is to excite you, and and it certainly has. And and um, of course, just putting up clips and sharing that stuff. If you see somebody, especially with the attention spans that we have nowadays, and not just kids, people always blame kids for no, having short attention everybody. spans. Everybody. Everybody's got a short attention span. You know, it's it's good to see skating real quick, but. Uh, and them classic videos that I love are just... But the thing that's crazy, not not crazy to me, uh, is is that it it's a uh, it's like a flag in a in a in a period of time, like and and because it's one piece, and it's funny, like I, I remember videos that like you say that the video had a rhythm. It's like you can almost sing the song. It's almost like listening to an album. Mm. You like you know when this part comes on, or like this he does this at this time with this song. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And and but it's also, you know, I wonder because like we did a uh, we did a piece like a like a I don't know I guess it's social piece for uh, venture, and mm. and I remember they dropped it and everybody yeah Philly San so so big up Philly Philly. Yeah, and and they dropped it. Everybody was hyped about it. Everybody that watched it was hyped about it, and it was done it in gone. like seven hours. It's it gone. was like, yeah. I mean, it didn't take us a long time to do it, and it, I mean, it was fun and no, whatever. No, but it's it's everything is. It but it was just, gone. Yeah, everything is like, disposable now. If you, know? you wanted to find it, like if you like, I mean, you know, if someone tried to find it, they probably couldn't find it because as much as I'm sure Venture posts like three or four things right. a day. And you multiply about it, what, two or three years ago? I don't even remember yeah. when, it was, when it was. But it, all of a sudden, it's a situation where it gets buried under mountains right. of content. Yeah. Where where it's, it, like, to me, like, the, the feature length, because you can't make so many of them. But it is an interesting thing, and Charles was talking about it, about guys that, that like, sit on clips. Mm -hmm. And they're like, go and get a clip. And then they sit on it and sit on it and sit on it. And, and then, you know, obviously there's the filmmaker and then there's the skaters. That, yeah. You know. It's hard for people to do, um, to, to sit on the stuff they want to share, you know, but it takes time to compile enough skateboarding that they deem worthy to be, to, to make the cut, you know. Um, and sometimes a guy gets something that he's really excited about or a girl gets something that she's really excited about and... It's like, hold on, yeah. <laughs> you got to wait like eight, yeah. nine months, you know, mm -hmm. before this comes out. And by that time, uh, they might feel like it's over. But it's not because all art, everything everything worthwhile is classic and is timeless. And uh, you can watch old videos and see the timelessness of it. Yeah. It's not about like, like take yourself out of it that, oh, I did this trick at this time. But just look at the screen and it's uh, it's art. Yeah. On another note, it's it's Christmas time, and this is this is our second episode. And Patrick, you uh, you cut it together. Uh, how is it? How is it getting back on the horse, the time code horse, and like putting things together? Is it worth it? Because we're all doing this. Like, <laughs> is it worth we're just, it? Well, we're doing it. Like we're doing it to the, no, the love of this. 
Um, no, it's been interesting. It's been fun. Uh, it's it's always, you know, when I'm cutting these interviews that we do, um, it's always interesting to hear the what what they talk about and what the filmmakers are saying. You know, sometimes it's hard because you know they're about three minutes. You know, but you got to cut stuff out of it, and it's yeah. like well, that's really interesting. But you know, it's got to go. But yeah, I mean, it's it's. It has been a while since I've worked on this show, and I'm, a lot of the stuff I've been editing hasn't been this type of genre. So it's been fun getting back on the saddle and doing it. I, I really want to get into uh, getting back into cutting, you know, features and narrative mm -hmm. as well. I haven't done that in a while either. So, um, you know, maybe I can get into doing some uh, code opens and <clears throat> eventually get another film done at some point, short film or. Something like that. It's cold opens. I think we can find some work for it. No, no. I got one that I got to give No. But, uh, no, but it's, it's funny. I don't know if I, I could speak for you guys, but, like, you know, because obviously we've talked about kickstarting time code several times. Mm -hmm. And and now that it's kind of, you know, obviously it's, like, it's it's not at full strength yet, I think. And and I think we all kind of feel that way. Like, we're all trying to, like, scramble. Like, Rick's actually on a, on a, on a film right now working. And so uh, we're all trying to, to keep it together. But it, it's been exciting because it feels like at least doing stuff creative again is Very fun. much as a buzz. Yeah. When people come up to you and tell you, like, hey, man, I checked that out or whatever. That's cool. Or, you know, or, or you ask, like, uh, friends that, that you've worked with for a while, you know, since we, the break that we weren't producing Time Code Nola, and you ask them to do something, and you go, what's, what's that? Tell me yeah. about it. And they do it, and it... It, there's an excitement to it. It's just mm -hmm. uh, uh, when you asked Patrick if it's worth it. To me, it's worth it. It's 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 tiring and it's hard, especially if you work in a full uh, you know work schedule. But uh, why do we do this? Because like a lot of us in the in the film industry, and uh, we're always working on somebody's movie, but it's never not frequently where we work on our own stuff, like local yeah. stuff, and, and it's a completely different feeling. And no, it don't come with a paycheck at the time, but it's so worth it. And uh, that's the goal, is to, is to make, it, make, make, make that dream more of a reality. Yeah, the thing, the thing that I'm, I'm hyped about right now is, is that I've, you know, for work, 100% of my work is out of town, so I'm, I'm always traveling. Mm -hmm. And so, like, I feel like I lost community and, you know, uh, it, and community doesn't necessarily mean that it has to be in town, but it's also just like, like, I, I miss the energy of, like, underground film or, like, you know, people that are just making it and just mm -hmm. doing interesting things. And I'm like, a lot of the stuff, like, like doing bumpers and stuff, I'm not that great at it but it's like i don't care it's don't like, matter you know, it don't matter it's like i'm just you know just just getting out there and doing it and it's like it's that's the energy that that uh like you know feeds me yeah i think the community thing is important because with the pandemic well when we stopped we stopped doing time code no and then the pandemic and then so now it's like being able to you know at the screenings see people in the film industry, I haven't seen in a long time. Talk to them, see what they're up to. Mm -hmm. um, but also, like I said, when I'm cutting these together, I'm listening to directors talk about their films and why they did it, or what technique they use, or how they had to, you know, run into a hospital and shoot <laughs> something without permission, and you know, the good stuff, you know. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, it, it gets you 
motivated to try to get back out there and do some more creative stuff yourself. Um, like you said, even though, you know, I haven't, you know, directed a film in a long time, but, you know, I kind of want to do it again. So Yeah, you you listen to, while we're working on doing, right. these, doing these interviews and stuff, you listen to it, and it's inspiring. Yeah. Well, it's also, I mean, you know, we've all worked in the film industry for decades, right? And so, like, we've all learned these processes and, and different things and talents, and, and some of us are in different category, you know, uh, capacities or whatever. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's, it's a situation where it's like when you talk to uh, – various people that you know that are involved in time code it's a situation where going back and making art is is and telling stories is is the is the the generous genesis of it all so that's the idea well and it's it to me the other thing is 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 i just miss shooting a shit with people about film did you see this did you you know oh did, you know it's this film from 1971 like from you know China, did you see it? Blah blah blah, whatever. Yeah, the camaraderie is a great, a great uh, feature of it, and uh, you work on stuff, and then if you get a little luck, sometimes it comes out good. Sometimes. Well, sometimes. And, well, and hopefully, this is the thing too. Like when we started Time Code, I remember we first pitched it, and the powers that be were like, "This is great, but you'll never have enough to do more than one episode. And then we did seven seasons. Well, this is the seventh season. Mm -hmm. um, we actually, I think we actually hit seven seasons. But um, but the thing is, is that one of the things that I kind of, in that meeting, me being defiant was like, we're going to show bad movies. I don't care. People are going to see them and, mm -hmm. they, and they're going to be able to learn from those mistakes and get better. And the thing is, that with these episodes, like this episode I, I'm, I'm proud of, and I think the, the, the first episode was good, and I think we've been... The thing that's cool about it is is I, I feel like the films are so much better, and I think the episodes are so much better. So um, hopefully everybody else enjoys. Yeah, hopefully. Mm. And ha happy holidays to you Happy as well. holidays. You're probably listening to this in July, six yeah. months after it came out, but next <laughs> next, next holiday season that comes around, Can you put some, 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 put like, some bells music. or something? <laughs> or go out with a with a... That's a good idea. Cue yeah. the bells. Theme Cue the, the bells. There we go. That was it. That's how it was. Yeah. Okay. All right. Time Code Presents has been a Time Code NOLA production. Your hosts were Randy Perez, Patrick Morero, and producer Ricardo Barros. Thanks to Eric Williamson for taking time out to chat with us on that one. And you can find episode 702 of Time Code NOLA on YouTube. For any further information, check us out on timecodenola.com or just ask somebody. Later. <laughs>